Welcome to the Fargo Podcast, the officially unofficial podcast for Fargo on FX. I'm Jim. And I'm Aaron. And I'm Eric. Oh, who's that? (laughs) Oh, shit. Oh, shit. Three guys, one podcast? Oh, no. I don't know how this is going to work. Like, in a trunk, I come out of nowhere. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Thank you for acknowledging the deer in the room, Eric. We appreciate that right off the bat. The deer in the snow, and the deer in the room, and the deer on the ceiling. Uh, I see 12 deer right now in my room, staring at me. (laughs) You might recognize Eric from uh, the Fargo podcast. Where he contributed, you know, his clips talking about a lot of things. Um, He's a Fargophile. Mostly the things that happen in Coen Brothers movies, uh, Mm -hmm. but also giving his opinion on the meanings of episodes, etc. Giving some not quite accurate uh, theories, but, you know, everybody makes mistakes. Lots of passion. Yeah, that's what you can say about him. Lots of passion. (laughs) Dogcatcher was sound. The dog catcher was very you, yeah. Sound. Malvo as the dog, and you had that on episode two, dude. So yeah, I had it on, and and then not even just a dog catcher, but then he becomes a postman, which is the enemy of all dogs. That's and true. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that, you were crushing it. Pat yeah. yourself on the, the back, deer. and then the fucking deer man in the in the snow. Well, you know, rookie mistake. So it's a next year. Come back better, faster, smarter, wiser. Three man mm-hmm. cast tonight. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about the season overall. Uh, we're also going to do a lot of feedback from what I hear, and Aaron's going to kind of run that show. Oh, my God. Well, I want to tell you, um, we're talking about innovations in the golden age of television and whether this new mm-hmm. hyper form of serialized entertainment where it's just a one-shot, exquisitely put together by one writer with one showrunner, maybe even one director in the case of True Detective, how do you can make this Fabergé egg of a season Yeah, and how maybe that's the new wave. One thing I've been thinking, again... Uh, another innovation the show had is that it had this 10-episode format, but it wasn't mm-hmm. a hand... Because Noah Wiley said, you know, that might have been a little tight. Noah Wiley said I'm that? I'm sorry. <laughs> Noah, Falling Noah Skies? Holly. Falling Skies, guys? Yeah. Uh, yeah, Falling Skies crossover. Oh, boy. <laughs> Listen to the Bald Move TV podcast that came out earlier today. Um, I've been waiting for ER podcast for a long time. Uh-huh. Yeah, <laughs> Dude, I would that. crush that. That would be fun. Wow, yeah. that would be fun because some of the early, early ERs are all right. That was Clooney oh, yeah, before no he Wiley was really Clooney. Spoiler alert! So good, so good. <laughs> uh, then it got weird. Helicopters, amputated arms. Mm-hmm. It was kind of weird. But anyway, Noah That's Hawley, funny. creator and uh, producer and writer of Fargo, uh, he went to FX and said, uh, "Yeah, some of these episodes might run long." And they're like, "Hey, make them as long as you want. We'll support that." That's awesome. So you get these ten episodes, but some of them were like fifty-two minutes. Some of them were a hundred minutes, or wait, sixty minutes. It's I, I like the fact that they said take as long as you need to mm-hmm. tell the story. Mm-hmm. That's like one-upping even HBO's level of commitment because they flex a little bit. But most of the time, they're they're pretty steady, and they're fifty two minutes or whatever. So I I thought that that's is that something that the majority of the networks will emulate? Because how do you budget that for advertising? I don't know, and making schedules for your that other was such shows. such a huge commitment on this show for them. I was just thinking about that. Yeah, that's a big risk for them to take. I I really think that's awesome of them. And, I mean, FX has kind of a reputation for being a cool channel and putting on good shows right. and doing things right. I mean, Justified was on that, is on that channel. Sure. Uh, and a lot of other stuff that I watch, Archer, things like that. Do you think that since this is so handsomely paid off for them that they will that this will be emulated by other networks? 
Because uh, AMC man. seems to go the other way. Yeah, AMC, AMC loves their advertising. AMC comes to creators and like, could you bend the format for us so we could sell a few more bucks? <laughs> yeah, I don't. I don't see Viagra them doing ads in here. I, I think well, they're going to be advertising focused for a long time. Well, I and one thing that uh, that I have a kind of a unique experience here because I don't have cable. So when I watch Mad Men, when I watch Breaking Bad, when I watch Fargo. I watch those on Amazon. I buy them, and they're like a dollar ninety nine, and I get them the next day. And I don't get any commercials, so I don't even have that yeah. uh, perspective, which is really nice. And when I'm watching Fargo, it's like uh, it doesn't really matter what the runtime is to me because I'm watching it more of like a Netflix show than a network television show. So maybe they're kind of catering more toward that model of where where we're all going in television, which is on demand television. We know we've off we've said that on criticism otherwise shows that we otherwise really like. Like Breaking Bad is like, you know, you had this odd flow of this episode because they're kind of mm-hmm. trying to set things up for the next one but kind of drug on into the previous ex or the next one. Or like uh Game of Thrones, we thought felt like the pacing on episode nine was way off. Maybe they could have taken the ten minutes from episode ten, put it back with there and made it flow better. Mm-hmm. FX is giving them permission to do that. Mm-hmm. And that's why I there was many times where I was watching an hour, 15-minute episode, and I felt like it it was 20 minutes long. Yeah. Because it's oh, just yeah. so much cool shit was happening. So I just I don't know why FX decided to do this on this, you know, kind of rookie outing on this quirky little show. Sure. Uh may I think the 10 o'clock time slot helps because pretty much after that it's reruns of Always Sunny or the Slap Chopper <laughs> or Kaboom, uh-huh. you know, uh, <laughs> with the dead Billy May still making them zombie sales. Oh, oh God. But so maybe that's the thing. Dark. We need later night, later night television, you know, put shit on 11 o'clock and it'd be as experimental as you need. I think that FX is also looking at this as a major opportunity because there's a show called Mad Men, which will be going off the air next year. Uh, and uh, of, of course, Breaking Bad is done. MC has some big shoes. And if uh, FX is sitting back and saying, we're going to give creators the opportunity to tell the stories they want the way they want to tell them, that seems like a pretty uh, tempting place to go if I'm a uh, budding uh, ex-writer uh, on a show who now has my passion project to, to carry out. Uh, good point. I think it's a very good point. I think that uh, AMC better watch the throne. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you still got HBO, who's really on. No, the I throne. mean that's the thing. They're HBO, on the Iron Throne. They, HBO got caught napping a couple years ago, and yeah. now they're like, "Oh, you like Mad Men and Breakback? Fuck you! Here's some of the best television ever." <laughs> uh, so yeah, no, they definitely have got the crown, but uh, the the princedom. They're doing it, the it, jack. The jack is up. The principality is up for grabs. Yeah, AMC and FX are doing as much with basic cable television as you can, right? Yeah, yeah, and that's the thing you can tell. Like we you know, we talked about this in the wrap up cast. Imagine Mad Men with nudity, and <laughs> and and or Walking Dead with swear words. Roger Sterling naked all episode. <laughs> no, seriously. I mean, imagine if it was like a free to be really adult. Uh-huh. Not like gross adult or sure, sex exploitation sure, sure. adult, but just you know that extra level of authenticity or Breaking Bad. My God, mm-hmm. imagine how fucked up that could have got. It's hard. <laughs> Everything would be better on HBO. Sure, but sometimes mm-hmm. HBO fucks up and their draft evaluations, and they pick a, you know, they, they they pick a bust, and they let one a gym go by, and AMC and FX snatches them up. So, yep. But anyway. 
Uh, I was reading some more interviews of Noah Hawley. He seems to be really distancing himself from the, his statements uh, or the idea that the Sioux Falls City Killer is Lorne Malvo. Yeah, he does. That's number one. And number two, he said in a recent article in the AV Club, an interview, he said, there's nothing set in stone for next season. I reserve the right to do just about anything. <laughs> well, of course. So... <laughs> Sorry, Noah Hall. You don't have that right. What does this mean? Does this first of all, do we believe him that Lord Malvo is not going to be a cast as a younger character and do the Sioux City Falls with the Lou character? That's almost a, that's almost a you know underhand pitch. Uh, I believe him. I believe him. I think you know that's kind of one of pitch. the one of the obvious things to do. Certainly, the other is to follow the money. Uh, I think both of those are obvious, and both of them are both terrific them are ideas. Fi- yeah, the, both of them are fine ideas. I just don't think he wants to to limit himself to that. You know, if he has other good ideas, he wants to be able to use those. Okay, now that I buy. Like I said, there's not, um, but I just feel like, my God, as long as you have those two hooks of ideas, that if you start mm-hmm. running out of gas in Fargo season three or four, just trot those suckers out. And sure, hit that grand well, slam and jog around the bases. And I also want to kind of throw in here uh, a, a very interesting thing. You guys touched on it. There's a tape that is in Lauren's uh, briefcase at the end of the show, and every name in there is a cast member or a cast or crew member on the show, except right. for one name, which is Carson Wells. Yep, Woody Harrelson. Uh, Woody Harrelson's character. Now, No Country for Old Men took place in 1980, and uh, Sioux Falls of that happened 1978. 79? Uh, 79, yeah. 79. Ooh, so, I like what you're laying down here. <laughs> so uh, Woody Harrelson's character, Carson Wells, in No Country for Old Men is already an ultimate badass. I'm wondering if maybe he was he could play some kind of mentor character to Lauren Malvo um, or some just, kind of – What if they just uh, cast a young version of Woody Harrelson and had Lauren and him and Sugar – uh, <laughs> fucking up shit in North Dakota. <laughs> That's true. I mean, because because Carson Wells does say that he is one of the few people who has seen Anton Chigurh alive and yes. and survives. Right. And you could just have Woody Harrelson play Woody Harrelson because, like I said, uh-huh. I mean, No Country for Old Men takes place in 1980 and it came out in what 2007. Mm-hmm. You could just have him play him. Sure. Yeah, I guess that's true. He's not that mm-hmm. much, especially when you look at young Marty from uh, True Detective. Oh, yeah. They could take hair on, take hair off. The dude looks like he's 20 years younger all of a sudden. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Take, put on a gut, take off a gut. It's amazing what they can do. Yeah, uh, I want to know what happened in Sioux Falls, and I want to know what happened. What's Molly's dad's name? Lou. Yeah, I want to ha- I want to know what happens with Lou. I want to see Lou as an ultimate badass with his shotgun sitting on his porch <laughs> with uh, Anton Chigurh haircut and uh, cowboy boots <laughs> and see, high-rise jeans. So that's the three. These are the three... Season two ideas, I think, are the easy front runners, and he might come out with something that blows us all away. But there's that going back to Sioux Falls and Lou. Maybe, maybe Lauren is involved. Maybe Anton. Maybe neither. Maybe it's a different threat, and we just all, you know, whatever. That's an obvious way to go. Where the king uh, buried the money in 2007. Mm-hmm. That money is still out there. It could kick off another season. That's the that's the second best idea. Third idea the sleeper is we speculate that um what was uh jerry's father-in-law's name gustafson yeah wade gustafson wade gustafson mm-hmm. they we find out that he in this late 70s 
mm-hmm. got a mysterious million dollar briefcase somehow, and we get the origin story of how this evil, corrupting money started on its path. That's making shit up out of whole cloth, but I kind of like that idea. <laughs> I like that the idea. The Fargo too. first class type of reba- reboot. Well, I think they could do all of these. I think you could easily combine all these into a similar plot. And it also kind of ex- – it would explain why Lauren goes after the king because really that storyline is uh, – you know, Aaron called it filler in one of the episodes. But at the end of the day, um, it, it kind of fills itself out and, and doesn't necessarily resolve in a, in a satisfying way by the end of the show. So <laughs> – Maybe that's yeah. uh, if if Lauren's connected to the money in 1979. Maybe that adds to that King storyline. Yeah, I tell you what, I feel like a real asshole calling that story filler because it might be filler, and I think structurally it is. But it's like Michael Jackson's filler. It's like 13 <laughs> times platinum filler. It's like number one 20 minute video type filler. It's woohoo kind of filler. So I, I just want you to pr- – when I say filler, that's a that's a noun that might be accurate, but it doesn't really do it justice. You have to put some other adjectives like fuck. It's really good filler, phenomenal filler. Um, right. Problem with the fishnado filler, but, you know, a little fishnado never hurt anybody. Can we talk about fishnado just real quick? Just do it, sure, dude. Why do not? it yeah. because you, what did you think when you heard me going on my fish fishnado rant? Okay, I'm with you here, and and Lydia is re my wife is rewatching this this or she's watching it for the first time because I like blazed through it and she didn't get a chance to watch it. Right, so, right. Last night I watched episode six and episode seven with her. Okay, and this includes Fishnado. And um, interestingly, if you look at it from the king's perspective, you know after he after he sees his son dead in the car, he looks up at the sky and he he kind of acknowledges God and acknowledges this as an act of God. Sure. Um, so there could definitely be a supernatural element that is attached to this fishnado. And I think it's kind of got to be that way. But the, my big problem with this is, yes, they explained it with the tornado that picks up fish. And yes, that may happen. But every lake in Minnesota has three feet of ice on it. And we, the tornado we, saw, we saw that as a method of corpse disposal. Yeah, yeah exactly. not true. Uh, Lester oh, the, falls through the eyes at the very end. That's, that's in Montana. Also, okay. Also, right. they do live next to the Great Lakes. It's Those great fucking lake. things Those, don't freeze over. Uh, yeah. Well, well, you would know. I don't know. About I lived in Chicago. Though you know, you know, you know, when you over. laughed at me for for suggesting that the Puget Sound would freeze over, <laughs> you guys had a sustained like five minute gale of laugh. That's what we're choking off right now about the Great Lakes. I don't. Yeah, I can't wait to see. I, hopefully, I will see a Great Lake one day. I think it'll blow my mind. You need to come swing this way. It's like an ocean that you can swim in and not get salt mouth. You just get nasty fish shit salt mouth. Fish yeah, salt mouth. mouth. That's a real thing. Okay. Of course, I, I swam Sounds in like San it. Diego. I've had both salt and fit shit mouth all together at the same time. So that's interesting. Salt yeah. mouth is a real thing, by the way. Okay. So someone sent us a message from the uh, an, another AV article, an AV club article, about the similarities of True Blood. I'm sorry, True Blood. Jesus oh, good Christ. Lord. Similarities of True Detective and Fargo. And I just want to read uh, from Sonia Sari- Saraya. Uh, Her says, um, these series are nearly identical. One of the reasons it's interesting to compare the two is because they're so parallel. They're both time-jumping stories about one weird case that wouldn't quite go away. They're both primarily about interrogating masculinity, albeit from different angles. 
They're both set in rich, near-pastoral landscapes, rural Louisiana and rural Minnesota and North Dakota. They both hinge on the flawed souls of the heroes, and furthermore, they do so by rattling around the idea of destiny, fate, good and evil in their lush landscapes, where time is a flat circle and the fox and the cabbage go over the river together. In both, the good guy wins, though they nearly lose themselves in the process. I thought that was a really great way of looking at it. Hmm. And then you just have to talk about the execution of the series if you want to, you know, do something as meaningless as talking about which is better. What do you think, Eric? Well, I, I think True Detective might be my favorite show of all time. Uh, so that's pretty that amazing. Out. Have you seen The Wire? I have not. <laughs> okay, that's a valid viewpoint to have with oh, your no. the evidence in question. In question, it was Breaking Bad, but I'm pretty sure it's now True Detective. It's so, it's just one season, but goddamn, that was a good it's season. It's so good, and, and 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 you know, like this might be the new um, the new environment of television. So just one season might be might be fine for a TV series. Do you realize that like six months ago, people were debating the end of the golden era of television? <laughs> And I kind of bought. Detective put their big Louisiana boot in the in that. And theory. Fargo. I mean, I was kind of thinking, like, God damn, uh, Mad Men's going away, and Breaking Bad's going away, and you know, Game <laughs> of Thrones has got two or three more seasons left, and you know, it's like, and Justified's going away. It's like maybe there's something to this, and then nope, there's still creative people in Hollywood uh, finding even new creative ways to tell this this form of story, and man, it's just it's just phenomenal. The most yeah, creative but, thing but, I've heard. Oh, sorry. The most creative thing I've heard all night is the comparison of True Detective to Fargo. Uh, I I hate <laughs> to be the guy who's going to shit all over this. Do it. But you can do that with any show. Take Toy mm-hmm. Story and yeah. Walking Dead. Obviously not meant to be the same show, but if you twist the words enough, you can make the comparisons to link them. Hmm. That's what's being done here. Sorry. I I kind of agree with you here. <laughs> okay, but also. Uh, I I think that you know I I love Breaking Bad so much. It's Me too. Just a, sure, just an amazing, amazing show. And the feeling that I got uh, from Breaking Bad, I was like, you take Breaking Bad, you go a little bit goofier, and I feel like you get Fargo from a from a, just my just my own personal feeling hmm. about the show, the aura that it gives me on the screen. And you take Breaking Bad and you take out all the humor <laughs> and you get the feeling of True Detective. Okay, yeah. <laughs> like that's wow. you know, it's kind of this little spectrum where Breaking Bad's in the middle, Fargo's on one side and True Detective's on the other for me. I like – this guy's a good third man because he somehow <laughs> agreed with both of our points uh-huh. and then crushed yeah. one of his own. Well done, Eric. <laughs> um, the one thing I do like about both True Detective and Fargo, and I think that she's right on, and you guys tell me if I'm full of shit or not – that does this have this interesting take on the male anti-hero that has been, you know, glorified in the form of Don Draper and Walter White and Tony Soprano? And there's nothing wrong with that. Okay? A lot of anti-heroes out there. A lot of male lately. power fantasy anti-heroes, sure. especially. You know, every man uh, being these sexual dynamos and these superheroes at work and, you know, successful in their career. That that both Fargo and True Detective, True Detective showed those guys who were that that's their public face, but then they showed the private problems that that kind of persona and that maniacal kind of masculinity would cause. And then Fargo showed, like, if Walter White really did break bad, mm-hmm. that's kind of he would be of more of a Lester where he acts rashly. He he crosses like he would have killed Skyline in her first episode the second she you know, crossed him and, you know, checked his credit card receipt one too many times. That that this is showing Lester is like if, if Walter White was a real 
more average luck kind of guy, less of a Bond supervillain, it would be Lester Nygaard. What do you guys think of those takes on that these are can be interpreted, one of the many ways they can be interpreted is as a, uh, a satire or a critique of the modern masculinity in entertainment? Jim? <laughs> Eric? Uh, well, I, uh, I think that... Fuck you guys leaving me at this on this island. Fuck That's, you all. Uh... No, no, no. I'm with you. I just don't want to... St- I feel like I would step it over, Jim. I don't want to do that. No, no, but, no. You're uh, fine. But I really feel like Fargo is a love letter to the Coen brothers. And, you know, it's Ooh. not just about... It's not just homages to Fargo. There's homages to so many Coen brothers movies. And really what Coen brothers do is they take Hollywood tropes uh, and and make them incredibly interesting by giving those tropes human dynamics. And so I think that's kind of what we're doing here. We're taking this Hollywood trope of the anti-hero and actually putting a human mask around him. You know, Walter White is is a fucking crazy dude. He's insane. <laughs> and I think that he does a lot of things that that a normal human wouldn't do, but um but uh I I, I feel like Fargo is the type of series that that plays to that idea that everybody has a goodness within them. Even guys like Wrench and Numbers have like some weird, un- inexplicable love for one another. Sure. There's a code uh, too, right? We've kind of called it a code yeah, within so the it, show. So it, it, it humanizes these these archetypes. And like I mm-hmm. said, that's something that's happened in a lot of Coen Brothers movies. And I feel like that's been translated into the Fargo universe. Sure. I could definitely get behind that. Uh, shall we get into some feedback? Yeah, or do we yes. have any other thoughts just on Fargo in general? Uh, I, you know, how do you, how do you guys feel about the ending of the series? Now we've had some time to digest it. Um, are you ultimately satisfied with the with the wrap up of the season? I, I, I'm super satisfied with it. Yeah, I, I think that okay. the right person ended up killing Lorne. I think that Lester got what he needed to get, uh, as did Lorne. Um, mm-hmm. A lot of people died in the process, but you know, eventually, good one. My yeah. opinion is I'm satisfied uh, that I've I've had time to think about it and watch it. Uh, I've watched it one more time since we did the podcast. And I do wish that there was some way that they could have brought a resolution to things that didn't sideline Molly as much as she was. Yeah. Like I was fine with even Gus getting Malvo if I really thought about it. Mm-hmm. It was the fact that Gus literally sidelined Molly the entire episode when she was such a vital part of the, the 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 fact that Lauren was and Lester both are in the position they're in unfortunate it does not you know it's no fish nato and it's one of those cases where it sounds in my head canon that's the way it would have gone it would have been awesome but it's not a tarnish at all on i mean it's a b plus finale not a tarnish at all of the season at a whole. Not nothing like I had with Fishnado, which I ultimately just kind of like <laughs> went with, you know. Yeah, it's this is not the Fargo I thought I was getting, but I can get down with this Fargo. So yeah, that was I, I'm glad that happened. I'm glad that moment happened in that point of the season because we are like episode five or six. I think it was six. Yeah, if that kind of shit happened in the finale. Like if Malvo had been killed by a ton of falling <laughs> fish, <by> a tornado, <laughs> uh, or a fire tornado that yeah, it can statistically happen. It's like ball lightning <laughs> and the updrift and with a blizzard. Yeah, I would still have been like bullshit, and it might have destroyed the entire series for me. So I'm glad they gave me that heads up of yeah, this is, we're going to 
yeah, yeah. do some of this shit. And I'll, and and that's the other thing is once I accepted that, I actually was really on board with the Malvo as a supernatural being wagon. And that, I still rep that. Yeah. I don't think he's immortal, but <laughs> right. I think you, you can make it. De- you can make a case that he's some kind of mythological evil force, like it's some sort of hairy goat demon. <laughs> yeah, and, and yeah. demons can die. Yeah, in, no kidding. In mythology, they ha- they die all the time. Yeah. Sure. I've read my Hellblazer comic books. Yeah. I've seen my I Constantine. My I know what's what. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, if they showed me him doing anything that was superhuman. Uh, I think I would be on board with that, but like as eating is, apple pie in the Garden of Eden, Jim. <laughs> yeah, if that's almost that's that over six thousand years ago. That's not human. <laughs> <laughs> if you I want to take really it literally, like, like Genesis, okay, go for it. Uh, no, I just think you know he is definitely a representation of chaos and evil. I don't know that he's Al Pacino. He is, aka the devil. He is. He is yeah. to. Uh... He's the devil to Gus's Keanu Reeves. Keanu Reeves. Thank you. Thanks for the assist there. I was really, really <laughs> struggling to pull up that memory. No problem. That was a very big movie to me when I was 12 years old. That was uh, Charlize movie. Theron's boobs, right? There you go. Very big movie. Holy I'm just, shit. That's, all, that's as far as I'm going. Uh, so <laughs> do we have any other thing we want to talk about? Did, hey, did yeah, we I ask mean, you what your thought what was? You because I kind of think we got our thoughts and we're like, fuck Eric. What was yeah, your thought? Well, I mean – when Molly got when they revealed Molly's pregnancy, like I was like I'm totally on board because Marge in Fargo the movie, sure, it's so great to see her at the end, and the stakes are so high when she walks into when she goes to the cabin and she sees Gare uh, stuffing the body in the wood chipper, right, mm-hmm. and then she shoots him on the ice, like it's an amazing scene and it's great, and you know they're building up Molly as this hero, yeah, maybe it's some kind of. Message about the uh, the male antihero and how they always save the day. Maybe there's something that tied to that. But uh, once the pregnancy happened, I would have like that raises the stakes so much that it makes any interaction that she has interesting. And they did kind of sideline that. But at the end of the day, uh, Fargo um, goes along with a lot of Coen Brothers movies. You know, I, I know you're not a big fan of Burn After Reading, but I actually really like that movie. If you look at it as as a decompression after No Country for Old Men. The end of that movie is just like closing the book being like, well, everything worked out. Okay, bye. And then kind of the same thing with like The Big Lebowski, you know, one of everybody's yeah. favorite uh, movies. Everything just kind of works out at the end. You know, Donnie dies, spoiler alert, but but uh, but it's okay. Uh, you know, ultimately we're just going to go bowling. Like so it, it kind of lands softly and that's very Cohen. So I, I'm on board with that. That's interesting. That's a very good take. Um I think I don't want to go down the path of any weakness perceived of Fargo saying it's one of the charming, uh, you know, homage the Coens. But on the other hand, that's a really strong defense. And I don't think that the finale needs defending. Right. It was I don't a, think so either. It was, I mean, was it as good as the True Detective finale? A lot of people hated that, but that was just pitched right up my alley. I loved oh God, every True minute. The finale was like down a to the, la- the last five minutes. Yeah, it was. I yeah. couldn't believe they pulled that kind of ending out of that kind of show. It was <laughs> yes. a magic trick. Yes. Breaking Bad's finale, sweet as hell. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, this finale is not those two finales, which I had the misfortune of competing head to head within the last twelve months of my brain. Yes, but it's still a damn fine finale. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Uh, shall we get, we get to some feedback? Yeah, I would like to do that. Scott from New Albany, Indiana, 
I'm jealous of this man because he lives presumably in the same zip code as the new Albanian brewing company. <laughs> My Ooh. favorite brewer, and you've tasted some of their beers, uh, Eric. I smuggled some to the Washington State. You mm-hmm. had the Hoptimus, Thunderfoot, uh, a couple others. But I know I yeah. at least brought those two. They're my favorite. They're Love whatever, it. Whatever their rye is. Anyway, that's Scott. He's there down by the border drinking all the good beer. Hey, Jim and Aaron and Eric, BT-dub. Thanks for your mm-hmm. coverage of Fargo. I was on the fence about watching it when it premiered, but decided to go for it after seeing you were two. We're going to do a podcast about it. I'm glad I did. Very much enjoyed the show and your podcast really added to my enjoyment. Not sure I would even consider the titles or delve much deeper into the riddles of the show without your podcast. So again, thanks. Um, that's always my favorite type of email. When mm-hmm. I enjoy something and I turn something on to something and they enjoyed it and they wouldn't have done it without me talking about it. Yeah. I feel like that's why I got up and fucking turned on this microphone. Boom. I did yeah. I did my job. <laughs> <laughs> Says after you're listening to your recap of Morton's Fork, I wanted to give you another take on Gus and Molly's story. I understand that Aaron was disappointed that Gus was the one who took out Lauren, and I think that was part of the point of the show. Gus made the decision not to involve the police after seeing Lauren's car, partly because he felt like Molly would come and be put in danger, and partly because he wanted to make up for letting Lauren go early in the season and then failing at actually arresting him a little later. In killing Lorne, Gus puts himself in danger, took someone's life, and robbed Molly of at least part of her victory. These are all things that Gus, Molly, and his daughter will have to live with from here on out. I think the last scene of them watching TV together shows that Molly is disappointed, just like we are. Gus feels weird about being rewarded for what he did and not heroic, as we might, Mm -hmm. and that ultimately their life will go on like ours does after questionable decisions we make. Amen and thank God. Yeah, that's, (laughs) that's a great perspective on it. In life, things don't often work out the way we hope or think or uh, or want them to. I like that the show is willing to leave that story there. They are relatively safe and happy. Their crime is solved, and they will have this event hanging over them for the rest of their lives. If Molly had somehow been the one to kill or arrest Lauren, that may have felt more satisfying and heroic, but many other shows or stories have wrapped up in that same way. Thanks again. Keep up the good work. Jared B is the next email. That was Scott from <laughs> Albany. Um I like this guy's take. Yeah, that's real good. Yeah. I, I still I still am a little this these are one of the things that got me kind of into the place I'm at now. I'm still a little bummed that it wasn't more Molly centric. Mm-hmm. But that's a strong that's a that's a good way to look at it. Eric, anything before I move on to Jared B? No, sounds good. Hey guys, I love your podcast. I enjoy TV more because of you. Oh my god, that's the sweetest thing ever! <laughs> wow. I usually edit out the dick sucking, but I yeah, thought yeah. season wrap up, let the dicks be sucked <laughs> for once. We have a not. We're lifting a moratorium on the oral pleasuring of the co-hosts. Uh, second, like most people, I ended up loving both Fargo and True Detective. I somehow missed some really obvious comparisons, and he sent us this AV club that we've already discussed. Yeah. So I find the idea that Lester's commentary on the male anti-hero archetype, I found that very thought-provoking. In real life, things probably turn out more like they did for Lester than for Walter White and Sony, Tony Soprano. Maybe that's by, partly why we love Breaking Bad and The Sopranos. Totally. The male mm-hmm. fantasy is strong. <laughs> yeah. Um, guys overcome their typical circumstances, but seeing Lester as a reaction to that got my wheels spinning. Same here, man. I mean, I cribbed the majority of your thoughts as if they were my own. <laughs> so I don't know what that's the highest form of compliment is completely ripping a man off of his opinion. Mm-hmm. You guys got anything to say? No, I think we covered that pretty well. Yeah, I think so. 
My God, it turned into a solo podcast. <laughs> I'm not prepared. Sounds great. That's the feedback section. All right. Yeah. No, I agree. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Word up. Brian, quote unquote, Grim G. Gus and Lester are both halves of the same coin. Both were lost when we met them. They were both in the wrong place and as a result, unconfident, indecisive, and etc. Then they met Lauren and were transformed. One man found his niche in being evil, and the other found it in being a mailman. But you can't de- <laughs> Okay. But you can't deny that they both became confident characters that found their strength after their transformation, all thanks to a roaming psychotic murder dentist. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and I, the articles I was reading from Noah uh, Holly Holly uh, we're Wiley. saying that basically Lauren is an agent of fate. He's pushing people toward their fate. Yeah, that's not a good thing. That's not a bad thing. He's it's, not trying to make you evil. It's like uh, the Grim Reaper, baby. He's just yeah pushing along fate. And Gus's fate was to be the good guy, be the hero, take out Lauren. So I really like that take. I mean, I also, this is a little bit off topic, but I love how uh, the first time Lester's nose is broken, he goes to the hospital, he meets Lauren, and then Lauren carries out a revenge against the person who broke his nose. The second time that his nose is broken, which is uh, in the final episode, uh, that's that's what's happening when uh, when Lauren gets caught in the bear trap. So Mm -hmm. it's. You see that you see that transformation yes. of uh, Lester relying on somebody else to take care of his problems to him taking initiative and uh, and becoming the the alpha male there, which was kind of an interesting journey that he went on. So right on, definitely. And, and I want to add that I saw someone on Reddit today where in season or uh, episode three of this season, uh, uh, Gus or I'm sorry, Lester's coming down his brother in law's stairs down to the basement. And the scene mm-hmm. begins on a tight zoom of that bear trap <laughs> mounted on the wall with spotlights on it. Wow. <laughs> Season Babe Ruth calling the shot, episode yeah. three. I thought that was pretty tasty. Sure. Pretty good. Uh, let's see. Brian continues. That said, it's far more important for Gus to deal with Lauren than Molly. Molly's arc was already completed through the vindication of being right and everyone knowing it. We know that she's an excellent detective, brave, etc., and she gets a promotion. Taking down Lauren would have been nice, but just icing on the cake. Gus needed to deal with Lauren in a Luke needs to defeat uh, deal with Vader kind of way. In the end, they all live happily ever after. Even Lester, in a way, he died strong and confident, evil as fuck. But I doubt he'd have willing to go back to his old life to escape his danger. Better to die strong than live weak. What do you think of this? The back nine of uh, Brian's take here. Well, I think that uh, if you look at Molly's character. She would have been chief if none of this shit would have happened. Like, she was going to be the chief. Yeah, then, if the chief had lived five more years, for example. Yeah, exactly. Like, it's so basically nothing really changes for her over this time period. Just a mm-hmm. bunch of shit gets fucked up and then, and then finally falls back into place for her. So at the end, when she says, Well, I get to be chief, it's like, Well, I was going to be chief anyway. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. just all of this shit happened in between. So. From her character's perspective, I mean, there's got to be some kind of, uh, some kind of, um, uh, 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 like disbelief about all of this stuff that's occurred to sure. her, mm-hmm. and how she didn't really get the guy at the end, and uh, and basically nothing has changed. I, I don't know. I have to say that I think you know I was the most disappointed probably of all three of us. It sounds like uh, at the finale, which again. <laughs> Not that fucking disappointed. So You're settle get down. So people. many emails. 
But Brian, I feel like his email was the one that really kind of won me over that she her resolution was about being right. It was never about mm-hmm. getting the yeah. guy. Yeah. Her I I saw her as taking down Lorne when really her mission was to take down Lester. Lorne yeah. was Gus's man from the beginning and I guess it was a, it, it's more of me just wanting to see a woman not need to be saved, which is you know, mm-hmm. that's kind of my a little bit of my politics and kind of things I'm passionate about showing. I I I can't really say I've got a problem with the finale. And I got to say that yeah. Brian is the one that kind of brought that into focus for me. Yeah, I mean, it, it, in the end, uh, Molly embodies that. She, I mean, she's an intellectual person. She, I guess she she shoots uh, she shoots numbers. So I guess she does do a little bit of violence, but but ultimately she's the she's the person who figures everything out. You know, when Key and Peel tell her that she's done a great job, you can see that pride beaming. Oh no, off no her. that's that, what, totally. that's what she wants. I'm glad she never lived and, long enough to find out what kind of idiots they were, but exactly. that praise actually meant something. <laughs> and yeah. when Bill finally tells her, "Look, you're right. Yeah, you, no, you cracked the case. I'm you're... not. I don't got the temperament for this. You do. You're the yeah. true steel. She's definitely yep. proud of that." So uh, is she proud there or is she like no no fuck duh? No, I think I definitely think <laughs> when, when she first gets that kind of news from Bill and he says like yeah you might be right but we can't do anything about it. Yeah, she's stunned because like she she's from Minnesota, soda <laughs> where they call uh-huh. something's Minnesota nice. Her getting this kind of public praise is probably the best day she's ever had in her life. Oh yeah, no, I'm sure. I'm it just is. saying that she's they. <laughs> You know, yeah, I don't think a Minnesotan would ever think, except for in the deepest bowels of their body, that, oh, my God, I can't believe I'm personally offended that I'm not right, blah, blah, blah. No, no, this was definitely her pride showing through, I think. Oh. Okay. Strong um, take. <laughs> uh, let's move <laughs> the other thing is, like, I got a lot of takes that agreed with my viewpoint too. I just didn't read uh, them because I felt like I argued that pretty well. I didn't, but this was a kind of a new anti-me take. Um, Chad K said, "I thought, uh, just thought concerning your guys questioning, Malvo died on the sales. Uh, wait, Marvel killed the sales guy that he had taped his steering wheel. You strongly agree that he did. I was kind of lukewarm yeah. to thinking that maybe Lorne didn't." He said, when Lester looks at the front porch, both of their cars are gone. I took that to mean that Malvo let the guy go. I don't think at the time to move the uh, other car before entering or leaving Lester's home. Hmm. Pretty, pretty good point. Pretty, pretty good point. Don't yeah. think Malvo would, would back both of them out the driveway just for shits and grins. Not with the giant blood path he left. Yeah, yeah. With Key and Peel's body. Good yeah, point. that is a good point, and I, I, I was kind of wondering that myself. Like, why did he take that car? Um, but the, if the guy's glued to the, I don't know, steering wheel, yeah, it makes it's good. It's it's a that, that yeah, whatever. It's good. Yeah, I think that um, again, it's not conclusive either way. But that's, and I just felt like it mirrored with what I thought Malvo's code was, where he's not going to kill you unless you actively gave him a problem or yeah. reason to. Because uh, he's a wild animal. That's what they do. Mm-hmm. Pablo L. Before Fargo premiered, everyone seemed pretty adamant that cate- or categorizing Fargo as a miniseries. In my opinion, Fargo is the best TV show that has come around since Breaking Bad. Yet only rumors and subtle hints to another season have been hinted. No official word on another season as yet, which is odd. But the more I think about it, I don't think I want another. Got several people saying that they didn't want one, and they're actually thinking about not watching if oh. they do make another one. See, I want another. I'm afraid they'll fuck it up, no, but no, I want totally, another. Totally. Now, he continues, 
Um, after watching Fargo in the movie or any other Cohen movie for that matter, I never found myself wanting a sequel like the movie Fargo, the hmm. TV series, evoked these same emotions. I can't see another tragedy or occurrence to be comparable with what other ever occurred. While moving the timeline of the show may seem like a simple fix, I just don't see how it will work. Pushing the timeline forward would still see some of the same characters such as Molly and Gus who already got closure back in the middle of another case. It would seem maybe too TV showy. In my opinion, it would take away from the entire Cohen vibe in the finale of season one. Going back in the timeline would be difficult still. Any major issues that may have occurred in the area weren't brought up at any time during Fargo season one. Being that the occurrences of season one really threw the entire police department into a whirl, as to say this has never happened here before. The other thing, only other thing brought up from the past was the incident at Sioux Falls. My issue is with that scenario playing out would be the fact that there wouldn't be much finality or closure. We know Lauren escapes and Lou gets shot. The suspense that Fargo season one brought would be flattened from episode one. What are your thoughts? Oh my God, I found myself agreeing with almost everything that Paul Blow said, except for he doesn't want more. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm with you. Although, the one thing that might link to Fargo that doesn't necessarily carry any of that baggage is the money, right? That's the piece mm-hmm. where you could just say, this is Fargo. Yes. And this is a new story. Yes. Because they've already popped the seal on that. Like, they never referenced Sioux Falls and Fargo. No. So there's more. There's room for some other not- notoriety here. What do you think, Eric? Well, somebody found the money because uh, we go a, a full year later. So all the snow has has uh, sure melted sure. and then re-snowed over that. So mm-hmm. somebody somebody had to have found that briefcase on the side of the road. So there is that future story. Um, I I'm just I'm just really enthralled with this Lauren Malvo assassin world that he's a part of. Yeah, yeah. So a Sioux Falls. Um, a Sioux Falls centric story, I would be totally on board for that. And who knows? I mean, what if Lauren, you know, there's no suspense because Lauren obviously survives, but you could put plenty of other characters in there um, that would that would give you plenty of suspense. And who knows? Maybe Lou gets shot in the first episode. You just get that out of the way early. Yeah. Um, and this, like, I'll leave this to the storytellers who are obviously uh, pretty good at their craft. Also, who else wants to see a young Molly and how she reacts to this? Maybe this is a formative experience for her. Hmm. Yeah. Oh jeez! So, I think there's a oh jeez, oh jeez. Oh, there's a lot of <laughs> angles here to take. Um, anything else before we move on? Nope. Uh, let's see. Pablo, wait, I just read Pablo's. What the hell am I doing here? Bob L. Hi, Aaron. Hey, Jim. Love your podcast. Never miss one. Regarding Fargo, a couple times in your episode recap and discussion, you mentioned an amusing called Jim out on Malvo getting out of the basement as it pertained to realism versus supernatural elements. Also in reference from the fish from the sky. Now, I think I followed the show pretty closely, even rewatched each episode, but I can't for the life of me remember a scene where Lester let Malvo out of a basement. So either I have to watch all 10 episodes again, or I hope you'd be kind enough to point out the episode and scene. Thanks a lot. As always, look forward to your cast. Regards, Bob. Hey, man, I don't even know if I'm right on this, but my recollection of season one, episode one, where, uh, or maybe it's episode two. Lester kills the wife in episode one, right? Yeah. yeah. So yes. when he does that, and and Les and and Lauren comes over, Lauren goes down to the basement to check it out. Then the chief shows up. Mm-hmm. Then mm-hmm. Les, you know, um, wait a second. Nope, sorry. Lester blows away the chief. Mm-hmm. Uh, Lester, uh, Lauren, or Lauren does. Lauren goes down to the basement. 
Uh, Molly comes in and Lor- Lester goes down after him. L- Lorne's not in the basement. So yeah, it's because not that- Lester goes down into the basement and then knocks himself out. Yes. Yeah. He's so- nowhere to be found. Mm-hmm. So that's the thing, and we see in the rest of the set that there doesn't look like there's another way out of the basement. Yeah. So, you know, just watch that scene and see where's the opportunity where Lorne would actually be able to get out of that basement. Yeah, you don't have to watch all ten episodes. No, just, just the first number one. one. Just the first one. One and <laughs> a strong episode. Of course, we haven't gone back and done that either. So, <laughs> I meant to, but I ran out of time today. It's really Damn weird. It. Even doing this shit full time, I don't have every every bit of. All the time I need to properly research something. <laughs> um, Jay in Memphis said, on a topic of Lorne's hovel, Lorne has a shack out by the road that Gus can coincidentally notices as he passes, and a double underlying of the dog catcher symbolism, which nice catch, Eric, he says. It's a mm-hmm. wolf stalking Lorne that drew Gus inside. Okay, yep. let's go with the idea that the premise is that this is a Morton's fork. And for the sake of argument, let's say that the Morton's fork is defined as a terrible outcome regardless of intermediate steps. Once Lauren is back with that bloody leg with a hungry wolf licking his chops outside, I think it's pretty easy case to make that if Gus doesn't bring Lauren down, a patient killer waiting for sleep or pain or hunger or delusion to make Lauren more vulnerable has a chance to kill him even more than Gus does. What is your take on the fact that that wolf staring down Lorne is just basically another predator that would have killed Lorne no matter what? That that was the other fork with Gus being the other one in the Morton's fork. How's that wolf going to get in the shack? Bust through that window, man. Oh, wolves don't jump through windows. I could fucking jump through a window. I'm pretty sure a Timberwolf could. (laughs) I also don't think that uh, Lorne closed the door behind him when he hobbled in. Oh, shit. Just inviting wolves in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, man. Yeah. Well, that's exactly. I mean, that's also Lauren sees the wolf, and that's the moment he knows that he's caught. Oh, we got a really good yeah, take yeah. on that later, too. Okay. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I could see the wolf eating his delicious leg. It looked delicious to me, <laughs> but that's because I'm a cannibal. Ooh, I thought mm. it looked gangrenous, but uh, the tapes. Just the flavor. Uh, under the category of the tapes, Jay Memphis continues I think Lauren is happy to have driven at least one of his victims to suicide, but I don't think he has any illusions about the laws of nature. Dogs don't have saints, after all, he said. If Lester or any of them had brought him down, I think he would have accepted it. The fact that fatal shots came from Gus were all the more unexpected, and to that reason, possibly enjoying to a man savoring chaos. By the way, Gus never gets indicted. I believe it, but still, again, I don't know if you're an American or not. Oh, yeah, you are. You're from Memphis. Come on, get out of here with this shit. You're from Memphis, dude. (laughs) Yes, he just stood his ground. Come on now. Um, What do you... What do you think of that take? I liked it. Well, I'm I, I, and to just go back to the wolf real quick. It's it's almost like the transfer. It's almost like Lauren stops becoming that that predator in the last episode because he's basically out for revenge at mm. that point. Sure, um, he's out for revenge uh, of Lester. Basically, once he knocks him on the back of the he's head, he's trying to appease his wounded pride. Exactly, and then that's the thing. It becomes some kind of prideful march. It's not the predator. Um, going through the world, uh, stirring up chaos. It's now just a single man on a vengeful quest. Um, so he almost loses that status. And I think maybe when he's looking at that wolf, that's that's what, uh, or the the wolf uh, leading Gus to him. That's that's the wolf reclaiming its place as the as the as the you know carrier out of chaos. Fucking a man. <laughs> Let's move on to Scott V, who said, "Just wanted to add my two cents into the Fargo finale." My take on the wolf, I don't like the idea of Lorne being supernatural. However, 
I feel like they're really playing at the supernatural in Lorne. I believe the wolf either represents Lorne's enemy, perhaps God, or his quote-unquote boss, perhaps the devil. The wolf stops Gus so he can find Lorne. Then when Lorne looks out the window and sees the wolf, he smiles. I think in that instant, Lorne knows he's done. Either his chaos boss is calling him home, or his enemy is saying, quote-unquote, I got you. I believe that's why he is somewhat annoyed when Gus comes forward. He knows it's over for him regardless, and is impatient with what Gus wants to say. He knows that it wasn't (laughs) Gus who got him. Gus is just an agent of the wolf. I felt like Scott was a natural outgrowth of Jay's point in Memphis. Anything you want to say in addition? Uh, I feel like... I don't know, man. The supernatural stuff. I love with it. Lauren. I don't I so like it. want to do a video of all the things that hint to him being supernatural in season one. I think it would do. I think sure. it would do good business. I, I think there are <laughs> business. I think there are uh, plenty of allusions to that. I think in every interview I've read with Noah Hawley, he has said Lauren is fate. Lauren is. Essentially, cause and effect. You're trying to tell me that the creator is the ultimate word on his. <laughs> Unfortunately, works. yes, yes, that's exactly <laughs> what I'm saying. We're professional podcasters. What we think and say and theorize has much, much more cri- more critical value. All right, you see, he's the devil. <laughs> Iraq, what do you think, man? You got anything to add I, to that? You know, I loved, loved, loved the line. Uh, I haven't had pie like that since I was in the Garden of Eden. Yeah. Yeah, that was good. That was like the line that just, I want a t-shirt with that on it. Also, it's Noah, nice Noah Holly in an interview I saw today said that if you want to know about Lorne, focus on that quote. Lorne's the devil. Just saying. Oh, God. Well, I'm not saying Lorne is the it, devil. Focus, he's a devil. Hmm. Well, you focus on okay. that quote because he, if you, you know, Snake of the Garden of Eden is, is the one that tempted Eve to eat the apple of knowledge. And once she ate that apple, she realized she was naked. Uh, God got really pissed off. They got exiled from the Garden of Eden. Shit, yeah, All of these things happen to Lester your... when he eats that apple, when he hits the, his head in the his wife in the head with a hammer. He yeah. eats that apple mm-hmm. of temptation, and a whole new world of knowledge has opened up to him. He's now a cunning liar. He's a con man. He's uh, unrepent. He unrepentantly sends his brother to a to death row like he he becomes a, a an all knowledgeable agent of chaos himself just because he's he's taken a bite of that te- of that uh, that apple of knowledge what i got out of all that is that miss hess is actually a man mm. that's what i got out of that take great okay <laughs> uh no seriously uh good stuff you got anything to say in jim before we move on to Lindsay from oregon no bring it because overall, I thought this Fargo miniseries was strong. I love the story arc of the characters and the themes woven throughout. The theme of how people react to such evil is fascinating. I thought this was a nice time to the movie Fargo with Margie's comment to Grimm's Rudd at the end being, so that was Mr. Lundegaard on the floor in there, and I guess that was your accomplished in a wood chipper, and these three people in Brainerd, and for what? For a little bit of money. There's more to life than a little money, you know. Don't you know that? <laughs> and here you are, and it's a beautiful day. Well, I just don't understand it. I think her comment could also summarize the audience's feelings towards the TV character Lorne Malvo. We've never quite understood what his motivations are, or even what he is. He clearly doesn't care about money. He's willing to throw away a hundred grand bounty and the king's million. He is a sociopath in every way, gorging himself with people's misery and getting off on the evil he can create and spread to others. In the end, we just don't understand it. 
And it seems in the world of Fargo that there are two ways to respond to this level of evil. Either you react like Bill's character and quit, or you become like Gus and embrace the evilness and fight fire with fire. In order to get the fox, the rabbit, and the cabbage across the lake, you have to be willing to ride in the same boat with them, with Marvel representing the fox and less of the rabbit. I thought the season was very strong, but there were some glary moments. I wasn't alone in being upset that Gus takes down Malvo rather than Molly. To me, that was a very unsatisfying, extremely disappointing moment. I also thought the King's storyline was incredibly weak. Uh-oh. <laughs> and could have been greatly cut down if not eliminated entirely. Flies in the face of my uh, thriller filler. I also had to suspend my belief while watching this show most of the time as there were so many coincidences that were often ridiculous. Also, the incompetence of law enforcement in this show from the FBI to local PD was staggering. Wait a second. Come on now. I buy that. I grew up in a small town in the Midwest. I know what kind of guys work the, blue, work the force there. Yeah. <laughs> Overall, that was an incredibly strong first season. I really enjoyed it. Uh, the most critical email I got here, Lindsay from Oregon. What do you guys think of her criticisms? We've already talked about Gus and Molly, so forget about that. Right. Uh, the King storyline, I've kind of come around on you guys. What are your take on that? Yeah, I feel like, you know, of the major plot threads in this series, that might have been one of the weaker ones. That doesn't mean it's bad. That just means it's weaker. It's weaker than the rest of the amazing ones. And I, I think, you know, it kind of serves a redundant purpose. We've We've seen the character of Lorne be nasty. We've seen him be chaotic. We've seen him do all these things before... In kind of smaller instances, this this one prolonged plot line kind of shows us all of that again. Did we really need it? Yeah. Eric? Well, I was definitely waiting for some sort of payoff um, mm -hmm. with the King storyline because from my perspective, you know, at the very uh, – it's like the second or third episode, Lauren calls down to the desert. Is that like New Mexico or something? Um, and he says, I, I, I need to take a few days. I've got something personal to attend to or, or something along those lines. So I always assumed that the King storyline was a personal quest for Lauren because I can't really imagine that somebody would hire a hitman from a hitman service to come in and be a consultant on a blackmail case. Like, no, no, <laughs> totally. But sense to totally. me. So it seemed like that was some kind of personal thing that uh, that Lauren was trying to attend to. So some kind of personal connection to the money or something along those lines. Um, and, and not having a payoff to that, I got to say, that was a hanging chad for me. Hmm. Jim? I, yeah, I think I agreed with him right before he said that. All right. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm the asshole is what you're saying. It's still good, though. Like I said, I, I rewatched episode six and seven last night, and the King stuff still holds up. I like it. Yeah, I think okay. that I think this show is going to be very kind to a rewatch. Oh, because absolutely. most of the stuff that I had problems with is because they weren't quite to my expectation, and now that I can just watch, mm -hmm. already blown away by it. It's like a true detective. Like when I rewatch those, I'm like, God damn. When you already know the story, you're not fixed with that. Just watching the craftsmanship on display, yeah, yeah, yeah. it's really amazing. I think that Fargo is going to be similar. Now that we got all the theories out, now that we know everything, all the cards are on the table, let's see the beauty of the play. Mm -hmm. And I think that's, uh, I, I think it's going to really reward. I can't wait till the Blu-rays come out and we get some commentary <laughs> and some behind the scenes. Yeah, yeah. Well, one of one on my give is, uh, a shit meter from Walking Dead, this thing everyone involved <laughs> gave a shit, and that's yep. that's all you can ask on television. Uh, Eric, 
Uh, well, one thing, uh, and this is just a small, small thing on a on a rewatch that I noticed last night. You know, um, you guys both and I had a problem with it too, just on a just on a very small level. When Lester calls the crime scene cleanup and they hang up on him, right? And we were like, you know, and I had to take. I think you guys had to take that. Basically, when Lester says, "Well, there's a lot of blood," he's like, "Well, I don't do blood." Yeah, mm-hmm. I think when he said, "Well, there's a lot of blood," the guy was like, "Okay, this is a prank call," and then sure. hung up. Sure, <laughs> and that, and that's just and to me on the second watching, that's what came through because huh. you have this police force in that same episode. Bill tells Lester, you know, we had whatever fourteen people die of the flu in nineteen twenty seven. We had, uh, you know, five people die in some kind of fire in nineteen seventy two, but nothing like this. Like basically, it kind of shows this sleepy little town mm-hmm. that has not bitten that apple of knowledge by they haven't taken a nibble. And all of a sudden, this apple of knowledge lands smack dab like an atomic bomb in the middle of the town, and really nobody knows how to handle it. So th- little things like that, I think, on a second watching, or that it, it just kind of reveals a lot more. And I, I really want to watch the whole thing again. Yeah, my problem still is I grew up in a sleepy little town like that, and we had crime scene investigators who could do you know take care of that <laughs> stuff because bad shit happens everywhere, it turns out. Not to mention a lot of gutted deers and garages, I suppose. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. this is like a legitimate use of blood, you know. Anyway, yeah. moving on. This is the last, uh, last piece of feedback. Savor right. it, enjoy it, make it your own. Dan G said, not sure if I'm too late to make the wrap-up show. You are not! But I have a theory about Lauren's briefcase. According to legend, the 1930s blues singer and Oh Brother Where Art Without character Tommy Johnson sold his soul to the devil in exchange for musical success. I think this is the same kind of devil that Lorne represents. Not only is he a tempter, but he's a dealer maker. Mm-hmm. Wheeler dealer maker. Lorne strikes up a deal with Lester in which he will kill Sam Hess in exchange for what? The tape. All the tapes in Lorne's briefcase are incriminating phone calls made by people that have either gone to Lorne or have allowed Lorne to do some dirty work on their behalf. By holding onto these pieces of evidence, Lorne holds their lives, which is to say their souls in his hands. And if the soul's a truest version of oneself, and Lester's tape really does represent his soul. Lester is his truest self, or Lester at his truest self, sniveling, weak, amoral in that recording. All of this is, isn't to say that I believe Lorne is literally the devil. I think this is an illusion that casts Lorne as an evil force in a show that's as much a parable as it is a crime story. My theory also shares something in common with the popular pulp fiction theory, which is ironic because I hate that theory. He's talking, of course, the MacGuffin theory, the fact that the Band-Aid on the back of Marcellus's right. Wallace's head is where they take the soul out. and blah. You Go online, search Marcellus Wallace's soul. Mm-hmm. You can read the whole damn thing. Jim, what do you think? You're smiling and nodding. <laughs> you're, you're not buying any of this shit, are you? You're not interested no, in no, the Lord. I okay, okay. I mean, <laughs> I he certainly likes to listen to those tapes. We saw him listen to those tapes many times. I think it's not just a way for him to, you know, mentally masturbate. He's he's enjoying it certainly, uh, but I don't know. He their souls. I'm not totally buying. Uh, well, a digital re- a magnetic tape representation. I like that yeah, take. Yeah, yeah. That this is, you know, Lore, or Lester's essence. This is him at his base level. Yeah, but it, it's he's become a very different character by the end of that. So does that change? Does that soul change? Uh, Is he capturing what they were? Yeah, like a reflection. Yeah. I don't think he's a different person at the end. 
I think that hmm. he's like how said, that, how can you please okay, argue yeah that? yeah I, I mean okay. I actually think you're probably right. I just want I, to hear what you have to say about it. So first of all, I'm going to give this take a Aaron approved strong take okay. because this I really love this idea that he's carrying around the souls in this briefcase. I think that that's an awesome analogy here, and I feel like Lester's always been the He's always been the guy who runs away in the first episode before he even meets Lauren Malvo. He literally causes hurt pain to himself because he ducks a false punch from Hess. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, and he is. The, and he's that guy at the end of the ep- at the end of the show. He's yeah. that guy. He's running away from cops and he falls in cracked ice. Um, so that's true. Uh, he, how how would you explain the the elevator scene? So. <sighs> Um, well, we got you on a Morton's fork there, man. <laughs> well, I, I think that I think that, that's the proper use of Morton's thank fork. Thank you. We yeah. finally figured it out. <laughs> well, the elevator scene, I think that 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 kind of shows that he's still Lester. Um, he thinks he can handle this badass shit, mm-hmm. but when push comes to shove, he runs away out of the elevator. Let me ask you guys this: He's an escape artist. He's he's a Bilbo Baggins, if you will. <laughs> Let me ask you this, Elbow. Mm-hmm. If if Lester meets Lorne a decade down the line, does uh-huh. he Bonnie and Clyde up and say, hell yeah, I'll help you with these bodies? Or is he still fucking freak out? Is he still the Memorex version of Lorne? Pretty good, but not quite the original, the Masters. Uh, Ten years down the road from where he's at before he goes into the elevator yeah do you think that so he's, he's now the insurance see, see where he's see uh that's thinking too instead small instead of a one-year jump a 10-year jump yeah 10-year jump with his tra- trajectory yeah. like because I, I always think that lester it's like the prometheus version of lorne mm-hmm. you know it's slightly bastardized got some crazy ideas that don't really go anywhere right but you know a worthy precursor it's definitely a, you know like a blurry reflection of that person in my mind, if he kept on that trajectory, he might be Lorne. You know, he might go around just being on maybe or maybe I don't know. I just there's something that I feel like that he just wasn't seasoned enough to be a true dyed in the wool killer. Yeah, I mean, I feel like you you go ten years down the road and um, Lester's the king. He's he's Stavros. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think he's Lauren. I think he becomes yeah, that's uh, a king in his castle. That is a good yeah, yeah yeah because he's not really a predator. He's just a really advanced uh, herbivore. <laughs> <laughs> he's a triceratops. Mm-hmm. You know, he's got the fucking horns, and yeah. he's got the, you know the the frill, the neck bony neck frill that protects his neck. Yeah, that's the that's a good take. I like that. I, got, he, I think he's more of like a grizzly bear. Like he can be a predator, but oh. mostly he just eats fish and berries. Yeah, if you right. pretend like a, you're dead, he's not gonna like you know. Okay, whatever. He's not gonna yeah. make a make a. He's not gonna call you on your bullshit. <laughs> Other question. Um, I saw some people on Reddit saying Lauren only had room for as many cassettes in his case as Lester. Like Lester's last one, he filled up all the gaps. Mm-hmm. Do you think that's significant, that, like, Lester was his piece de resistance, his work of art? Or do you think the man just fucking didn't have time to go to Fry's and buy another shockproof case for his tapes? 
Well, I mean, I'd how, like... are you, how are you going to find an audio cassette case in 2007? Yeah, fair enough. I'm saying you buy a Pelican case and they got that like pick and poke bullshit that you can make any size. I feel like that's what he did. Yeah, it could be. Uh, I, I like the idea, though, that Lester was a, a kind of final piece for him. Last yeah. piece in the puzzle. I just thought it was funny because when I see these takes, I flash back my last gig as a uh, system admin. Mm-hmm. One of my jobs is I actually had these these big, expensive Pelican cases full of hard drives that represented our company's backups. I would take home terabytes of data every night. Had this, you know, grandfather, father, son mm-hmm. scheme. Um, lots more to it. But if anyone would like, if I got shot and forensic guys are looking, they're like, oh, you know, this company must have had this much data. I'm like, no, six months from now, I'll <laughs> buy a bigger suitcase and I'll cut out the holes. <laughs> and I've got filing cabinets full of this shit. Yeah, you can't yeah. make that kind of generalization. Maybe, or it's like your porn collection. It gets as big, you, it fills up your whole hard drive. You're like, ah, when have I really last jerked off to this particular one? And I could just be watching this online <laughs> streaming. Come on. Right. I, can I find this streaming? I can. Easy delete. I'm feeling like there's a lot of tapes that he had at the beginning that maybe weren't that exciting. Sure. He uploaded them to SoundCloud. Boom. Yeah. Like, like Lester pops up. Let's take this one kind of lame shit where a guy told me to fuck off. We after I do. fucked his wife and he throws it away and pops in Lorne. We should do a podcast called the lorne files <laughs> All the and rejected just each one. episode is a tape <laughs> yeah like at the first it's like he's po- tom may he's just like basically pranking telemarketers <laughs> <laughs> they get progressively worse they get forget that people are committing suicide by the end i'm in shit why not that sounds awesome do we have We're anything still? else we want to talk about before well, we sign off until we have no idea when we'll be back on fargo because we might never be back or yeah. we'll be back two years from now sure or we may, might be back this spring, next spring. We have no idea. Yeah, that has me a little worried because most shows, when there is going to be a season two, are renewed before the season one is even up. Yeah. Before it's even aired completely. So, According to Noah Hawley, they, he's got nothing. He's yeah. got nothing. And in that case, and we talked about the timeline, the weird timeline that they have to film this when snow is on the ground. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. he missed his window, and there was an artificial 10-month delay in the when we got Fargo. Yeah. I think... The perfect time to release Fargo is like when Walking Dead goes off to air. Do it like late fall, early winter. It kind of sets the tone. Oh, yeah. I, I would I like think... to watch this when I don't have that glare on my plasma screen. And when it's not 90 degrees outside. Yeah. No, I think yeah. this would be a really awesome, you know, Midwest, Northeast type thing to watch when you're snowed in. Maybe we can start a genre, ass. the fireplace genre. Yeah. Bald move fireside chat. <laughs> <laughs> get intimate on the mics uh, do we have anything else to say before we sign off Ugh. well I I just want to quickly touch on that uh, tape case um, idea that, okay. that, that that it's full you know because uh, now we're talking about the soul idea here you know the the legend of Tommy Johnson and her brother Arthur is based off of the legend of Robert Johnson um, who's a real guy who supposedly sold his Soul to the devil so that he could bring blues to the world. Sure. And one of the accounts of the Robert Johnson myth is that um, the devil gave Robert Johnson a certain number of songs that he could write. And then once he wrote that last song, mm. then the devil came to get take the him away. fuck. Shit. You didn't even know I was going to say that, motherfucker. Get <laughs> no, out of here with this. Uh, oh but... my God. Eric's blowing me away. 
but it's it it's so cool because and you know robert johnson died when he was 27 years old um so it's you know this whole legend has sprung up around it but it's so cool when you think about it in malvo's case because he gets that last tape then he leaves bemidji he goes to kansas city he starts his next uh his next project and you got to think that project is probably supposed to end with a tape but he never gets to finish that project. Oh, the Steven Root tape, tape would have been awesome. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Definitely. Uh, uh, but he, so yeah, he never gets to make that last tape. He knows that his tapes are filled up. And maybe that's why he returns to Bemidji to uh, to pay up. I don't know. It's it, hmm. the, That whole soul theory, I, I really like it. I just keep thinking of Steven Root as his office space character leaving a tape. Yeah. I told I told my wife I wanted no Jew, no Jews in bed. <laughs> there was very very large Jews in my bed. I'm gonna, I'm Is that a, the I'm, Jewish Stephen? I'm going to burn burn my whole house down. That's what his complaint about his wife. He's like, when it comes to sex, my wife is like a Jew. All right. <laughs> is that what he says? Yeah, he did. And then you Warren know, said, "You mean like she has sex with a whole, between a hole in the sheet?" Oh, and he goes, "No, yeah, yeah. she won't put the pork in her mouth." Is what he's oh. basically saying. Can, can I just say that's one thing I was kind of disappointed in is the Jew stuff. C- never Colin went anywhere. Hanks neighbor never went anywhere. Well, that's right? kind of that wasn't that an homage in its. I got we got to see yeah. a serious man. Oh, serious man's so good okay, I because I feel that. like that w- that was just an homage to that that also gave us a little bit more demon flavor for. You're talking about when Lauren, Lauren. meets him. Well, in the car. no, I think the, the the whole story he told and the fact I, I have no idea the eye fucking that Gus. And his neighbor's wife that did. That was weird. Sure. Except for, I think it was just to paint, you know, this emotional palette of Gus as a lonely man. Mm-hmm. I can buy that. That that's like yeah. the most excited he's been in many years. And then when we meet, because you know, I called Molly and Gus early on, and I think they're like D. Candlish did too, and a couple others. Yeah. There mm-hmm. was a lot of chemistry there, and that was a man starving for affection. And Molly's a quality woman. She is a quality woman. So, what else we got to talk about? Or I'll do some light pimping and we get the fuck out of here. Sounds good. I'm tapped. Uh, so, if you would like to support what we're doing here at Bald Move, because there would not be a F- Fargo podcast to enjoy were we not doing this on a full-time basis. Uh, that gives us the time necessary to do this for podcast. You can support us at subbable.com slash baldmove, and anything would help. A dollar, whatever you want to give. You can subscribe for free, even. But when you spend money, it actually banks up, and you can uh, redeem ever larger Bald Move memorabilia and exclusive opportunities. We'll record an intro to a podcast for you, get some uh, advertising on baldmove.com there, or like a gift for it's kind of like naming a star, I guess. Your favorite podcast episode of Bald Move will give you a shout out, nice little dedication. You can talk to us on the phone, you can custom a commission a custom podcast. Find out how at subbable.com slash baldmove and amazon.baldmove.com. Eric knows what I'm talking about. Amazon's all up in his backyard and his back pocket. Use amazon.baldmove.com, and we get in that back pocket, too. We're snatching pennies. We're snatching pennies. We're snatching dimes. (laughs) Every once in a while, we get ambitious and get a quarter. Ooh, dangerous. Every six months or so, a sack of Jawea comes, and we'll snatch that. (laughs) We'll snatch that gold coin. Buffalo nickel. But just the, the, yeah, yeah, (laughs) the the wheat pennies. They they all add up, and we get them if you use amazon.baldmove.com, and it costs you nothing. Mm -hmm. So if you're using Amazon, you're not doing that. Kind of an asshole. Just What's saying. Uh, you can also rate and review us on iTunes. That's how we grow the audience bigger. And my God, I had no idea Fargo would blow up the way it did. 
Thank you for the ratings and reviews. Thank you for sharing us on social media. You're the reason we got where we're at. Thank you, thank mm-hmm. you, thank you. Um, thank and, you to Eric. Thank you to Eric. Eric's our Fargo file. You can yeah. get Eric every damn week. They just celebrated a 200th podcast anniversary. <laughs> yeah. On Personal Arrogance. You can get it at baldmove.com or personalarrogance.com. They crush. If you're a dude or you like video games, or you like movies, you like to drink beer, or you like to laugh. They Giggle. have... I think you covered everyone. They, they, yeah, that's every person Except on the... Except fu- You should get 6.8 billion listeners every week. <laughs> and you and Jesse crush it. I'm a huge fan. I mean, we became really good friends by this podcast, and uh, you know, you helped us out when Jim was sick, and you've been doing the, 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 the feeds for us. You've done a hell of a job. Uh, hope we can keep working together in the future, man. I am ready to take off this little TV rocket and ride it to the bald <laughs> move, move stars. Uh, looking forward to that. And uh, not just that, Kelly and Tom are holding down our uh, Edwardian fiction coverage. Mr. Selfridge, the uh, Downton Abbeys of the world. We got Amy and uh, Gerilyn and Susie, Susan living what? crazy Who? awesome funny lives over at thebecausehow.com. We already talked about these bastards of personal arrogance. We got Fargo. We got 24. We got Orange is the New Black. We got a TV podcast where we're talking Falling Skies and Leftovers. It's crazy. We got more content. We got so much content, it will choke a desert camel. It'll choke a burden's ass. Not an Australian camel, though. Those things are vicious. eat right through air conditioners. You can't stop them. (laughs) Flee the continent. It's funny. The stingrays didn't do it. The f- horrifying spiders, uh-huh. the box jellyfish, the great white attacks. Australia's going to be come undone by camels. <laughs> yeah, the history books did not see, see that happens. coming. Yeah. Um, but anyway, we love you all. Thanks for another great season of coverage. Uh, stay tuned to baldmove.com to see what we're doing next. Eric, thank you very much. Yeah. Getting kind of late you. here. We got to encode this podcast. Thanks, everybody. I'm uh, for the last time, Aaron. And I'm Jim. And I'm Eric. Peace out.